0: Well, today is the fourth and final sermon in our series called Circle It, and I, for one, have loved this series on prayer as it's been completely encouraging to me to depend more on God this new year rather than simply trying to fix things about my life so that I'll have a better year. Um, And let me give you the premise of the series, and then we'll jump into one principle that I want to share with you today that hopefully will strengthen your prayer life or help transform your prayer life altogether. In the first century, there was a man named Honey, and we read about the legend of Honey uh, in a book called "The Book of Legends. Um, I first heard of the story of Honey from a book called "The Circle Maker," written by a pastor named Mark Batterson. Great book that I recommend that you to get and read if you want to be encouraged more in the area of prayer. But in the first century, there was a drought, and this man named Honey in front of a group of people drew a circle in the sand, and he knelt in the circle and he prayed a bold prayer. That he would not leave that circle until God sent rain on the earth. And that prayer led to uh, a rain that many people hadn't seen uh, in quite some time during this drought. And we've been talking in this series about the potential that prayer has to bring change to areas of our lives that are outside of our control We've been saying that it is the impossible situation in our life. It is the thing that keeps us up at night. It is the thing that frustrates us. It is the thing that leaves us feeling helpless. And the only way that it can change is if God moves on our behalf. And we talked about that sometimes instead of worrying about it and arguing about it and talking about it, we need to circle it. And by circle it, I mean we need to pray about it. We need to pray about it. Uh, steadfastly. We need to pray about it with boldness. We need to dream big in our prayers, and we need to trust God to do the impossible things in our lives. I know, like me, you have circumstances in your life that you could benefit God's favor in that area of your life, and so we're simply challenging one another in this new year uh, to commit to praying to God for some impossible situations so that we'll have stories to tell for years to come, much like Now, the second week of this series, we talked about dreaming big and praying bigger prayers, that God is the God of the impossible, and we can see God do so much more than some of the small prayers that we pray, and so we encourage one one another to dream big and claim some promises that God has to us, and then last week, we talked about being persistent in our prayers. That sometimes just because God doesn't answer our prayer immediately doesn't mean that God's not answering our prayers. His silence isn't always a no. And though sometimes he does say no to our prayers, it's important for us to be persistent in our prayers and keep seeking God around certain issues or areas of our lives. And if we'll do that, then we'll see God move in our lives. Now today, I want to give you one principle. It's a simple principle, and you probably know this already, but uh, for for people like me, I just need to be reminded of some important principles, especially when it comes to the area of prayer, uh, that will strengthen me and help me believe God for some bigger things in my life this year. And to share this principle, I'm going to go to Daniel chapter number six. Daniel chapter number six, and I'm going to be sharing... A story that if you are familiar with church, if you've got history with church, feel familiar with a lot of the church stories, you've heard this story before, you could probably tell me this story. But I want to read the story almost in its entirety from Daniel chapter number six, uh, because I think that there's something worth holding on to through this story. Now, Daniel was a prophet. Um, and he uh, was one of four Hebrew boys, among others, that were taken into Babylonian exile. Uh, he was uh, a Hebrew boy that was godly. He grew up to be a man that feared God and was faithful to God in the midst of uh, exile in a nation that didn't fear God and, and always honor God. And so he always uh, was seen in the story as as being that that leader that has influence for the sake of of God in that community. And so um, in this particular story, we're going to pick up uh, where Daniel has um, assumed a leadership position under the king, whose name is Darius, and some people are jealous of him because God's hand of favor is upon him, and, and he's really blessed. Uh, Daniel chapter number six. I'm going to start reading in verse number one. We're going to do a good bit of reading. I hope it's okay. God's word uh, is an encouragement to us. Here we go. Daniel chapter six, verse one. It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. So Daniel's one of three administrators over 120 other leaders. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. So of the three administrators, Daniel was the one that caught the king's eye as having the attributes and the leadership qualities uh, to be the top leader in the nation. Verse number four, at this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for the charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. This is a great thing for people to be able to say about you and about me. That we could find nothing to accuse them of. We could find no fault in them except that they are deeply and madly in love with their God. And we have to use that somehow to trap them into a negative situation. Verse number six. So the administrators and the satraps went as a group to the king and said, Oh, King Darius, live forever. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or man during the next 30 days except you, O king, shall be thrown into the lion's den. They're they're buttering him up, not because they think that King Darius is such a, a powerful man, but because they're ultimately trying to trap Daniel. And of course, If you're a king and all of your advisors are coming and saying, we should kind of dedicate 30 days and, you know, have everybody pray just to you and you can kind of be the God among all of our people. And and he thought that that was great. Verse 8, Now, O king, issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the laws of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the decree in writing. Sounds like a great plan. Let's do it. I like the idea. These men then went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. Verse 12, So they went to the king and spoke to him about his royal decree. Did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days, anyone who prays to any god or man except you, O king, would be thrown into the lion's den? Didn't we, didn't we just make a law that you can't pray to any god or any man other than you for 30 days? The king answered, the decree stands in accordance with the laws of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. And then they said to the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or to the decree that you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. We got him. You pass a law, right? Anyone that doesn't pray to you gets thrown into the lion's den. Well, you know, Daniel, kind of your favorite leader, the one you're going to put in charge of all of it, he's praying three times a day to his God, Verse number 14, when the king heard this, he was greatly distressed and he was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. See, King Darius, he loved Daniel. He respected Daniel and he felt that this was a disjustice to to Daniel, but the law was the law and he had made the decree and it couldn't be changed and it grieved his heart and he made every attempt to try to resolve the situation. I don't know if he went to Daniel personally and said, listen, man, just for the next few days, if you could just pray to me, that would be great. And Daniel wasn't going for it. It wasn't going to happen. He was committed to praying to his God. He was faithful in praying to his God. Verse number 15. Then the men went as a group to the king and said to him, Remember, O king, that according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, no decree or edict that the king issues can be changed. So the king gave the order, and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve, continually rescue you. You broke the law. It's in writing. It is what it is. You were caught praying to your God, and now I'm throwing you in the lion's den. But listen at, listen at how much he loved Daniel, that he was hopeful enough that what he believed in so strongly could help them, that this, this man that wasn't a godly man said, I'm hoping that your God can deliver you, can rescue you. Keep praying to him, he's saying. Amen. Hopefully things will turn out for the best. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and the rings of the nobles so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. It was outside of his control. It was an impossible situation. Daniel could do nothing to change it. The stone was rolled over the entrance of the dens. He had been thrown in with lions, with hungry lions who were looking to devour him. This was his punishment for praying to his God. And we have situations Maybe not as drastic as facing literal lions that are waiting to eat our flesh and bones. But we have situations that are outside of our control that we can do nothing to change, that we can't manipulate into our favor. It's an impossible situation. Verse 18, Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating, without any entertainment being brought to him. And he could not sleep. It hurt his heart that Daniel, who he loved, was going to be killed. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near to the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice. Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? He's hopeful. There's some hope there. And he's wanting to know, Daniel, did your God save you? And Daniel answered, Oh, king, live forever. This, is, this in and of itself is amazing that he even responded. That he's in a den with lions, and this would have been a form of punishment that had never worked out in the favor of the person being punished. And he goes and he calls out to Daniel to speak to him, I'm assuming really not expecting to hear anything. And Daniel says, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel, and he shut the mouths of the lions, and they have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight, nor have I ever done anything wrong before you, O king." The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted out of the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. Not one scratch, not one bruise, not one cut. He had not been wounded in any way by these lions that were set to devour him. Now, perhaps the lions weren't hungry. Just, just, I don't know, maybe they had eaten recently and maybe it was dark because it was nighttime and they didn't see him in there and they weren't really hungry and they couldn't smell good maybe they were sick i don't know but maybe this wasn't god moving but listen to what happens next at the king's command the men who had falsely accused daniel were brought in and thrown into the lion's den along with their wives and children and before they reached the floor of the den the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones Okay, these, these weren't like gentle lions, like Discovery Channel, oh, that's, that's a pretty cute cat. These were some hungry lions who had been starved to the point that when they punished people would immediately take advantage of that opportunity. And not only just the men who falsely accused Daniel, but their wives and their children, before they even hit the ground, all their bones were crushed. And Daniel had spent an entire night in the exact same den. Verse 25, Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and men of every language throughout the land, May you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and he endures forever and his kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. Because of Daniel's stand in the midst of an opportunity to waver in his faith, the king ended up issuing a decree that brought glory to the God of Daniel, who he so faithfully trusted and lived for. Now, here's what I want to focus on for the next few moments. We can assume, though there is not written evidence of the actual words that Daniel would have prayed when he was in the den with the lions, we can assume, because he was a praying man, that he probably prayed while he was in the den with the lions. Can we assume that? I think that's a safe assumption, that when you're facing the end of your life, when you're in crisis mode, when you have no options and nowhere to turn and there's nothing you can do to change your circumstances, we can assume that a man who was put in that situation because he prayed would have prayed. And we can also assume that God heard that prayer and we can assume that because of the prayer that he prayed, that God delivered him and rescued him from the hands and the mouths of those lions. Here's, here's what I think happens for a lot of us in life. Is we pray a lot of lion den prayers. You ever prayed a lion-in prayer? Like, this is bad. This is really bad. God, I could really use some help right now. They look pretty hungry. I probably look pretty delicious. Can you please help me out? You've you've faced some financial situations that were beyond your control and you've cried out, God, please, I don't know what I'm going to do. Please help me in this situation. You've had some sickness or some disease or some health issues and they've been outside of your control and you've cried out, God, I need you to help me. I can't do anything to change this. Please rescue me from this situation. You've had relationship issues that you've gone through and and there's no i'm sorry that would fix the issue and you've cried out god i need your help in this time of distress i'm in a crisis mode i need your help please i call them lined in prayers because it's it's the moments in life where we pray our greatest and our hardest prayers because we truly need god the most but so many times crisis mode prayers Drive our prayer life, don't they? It's in the time of our greatest need when we pray the most. It's when we need God the most that we actually decide to pray. It's when we can't fix things ourselves and we can't change the situation, no matter how hard we tried, that we were like, okay, so maybe now I need God's help. And it's almost as if, not that we intentionally say, God, I don't really need you, but it's almost as if we don't really want to bother him because he's probably busy running the universe, right? He's got a lot on his plate. He's worried about, you know, there's starving kids all around the world and my situation's not quite as bad as some people's and so I'm going to try to figure this out. But when we get to that moment where we're like, I'm staring at a hungry lion face to face. I can't do anything. We have that moment where we're like, God, help, please. I need you. It's as if we have this 911 line that's directly to God that says, emergency, help, please, emergency. emergency. And no doubt, Daniel prayed that prayer. God, I'm staring at lions. They look like they are hungry. They're like, fixed on me. This isn't looking good. Please deliver me. Please get me out of this situation. Nothing wrong with that prayer. I think it's a great prayer. And it's a prayer that God honored and God answered. But there's one thing that I think that we fail to realize about the lion's den prayer that we need to embrace for ourselves. And it's the simple fact that Daniel didn't only pray lion's den prayers. His lion's den prayer was just a pinnacle of a regular, faithful, consistent prayer life. You say, well, it was that regular, faithful, consistent prayer life that got him in the lion's den, if we're being honest, and so maybe that wasn't to his advantage. And I can just tell you that There are moments in your life when you pray consistently and faithfully that God begins to speak to you, and maybe he puts you in situations that aren't always for your best. There's this myth that thinks if I pray really hard all the time, nothing bad will ever happen to me, and that's a myth. It's not true. There's been moments in my life where I've prayed faithfully and I felt God led me to a situation that didn't turn out to be as good as a situation I was leaving. And I felt as if, though, God, I've been praying faithfully and you've got me in this situation. And sometimes, just sometimes, God wants to confirm to us that he is a miracle-working God. That he puts us in situations to strengthen our faith and to help us trust him more and to believe more and more in the power of prayer and the potential that it has to change our lives. And if we never went through those lion's den moments in our lives, we would never know of God's faithfulness to deliver us from those moments in lives. And sometimes the consistent prayers that we pray lead us to those moments, but it's only so that we come out stronger in the end. But without that faithful, consistent prayer life, if the essence of our prayer life is only emergency prayers... God, I need help. I got myself in a situation or I'm facing something or I can't get out, rescue me, deliver me, set me free. If that's the extent of our prayer life, then we're missing something really important about the life of Daniel here. See, when I read this story, I skipped over verse 10 and I'm going to go back and read verse 10 to you because I think it's so important to this story. Daniel has heard of the decree that Darius has issued that People can only pray to him for 30 days. This is his response. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and he prayed, giving thanks to his God. Here's the kicker. Just as he had done before. You've met those people that are like, know, yeah, I don't like your rules. You know, I'm going to I'm going to break your rules cuz so I don't think you're good." And it almost seems like Daniel heard of this rule, "You can only pray to King Darius." And he's like, "Well, I'm going to show you. I'm going to fling the windows open. I'm going to pray where people going to see me. I'm going to pray loud where people going to hear me. And I'm going to show you that I'm not going to follow your rules." But that's not the case here. He's not trying to prove anything to anybody just as he has done before as he has always done. He made his way upstairs He opened windows that faced Jerusalem, he got on his knees, and three times a day he prayed to his God. He had a plan for prayer. Prayer wasn't just a cry for help in the midst of crisis mode. Prayer was a driving force in this man's life. This was a man who knew how to pray. This was a man who prayed consistently and faithfully. This was a man who had a life that was centered around prayer, and the prayers that he prayed led him to situations where God would bring him favor and opportunities to see him work miracles in his life. And here's just my thought, just my belief, just my conviction. Had Daniel simply prayed the prayer in the lines then to be delivered... Without the history of the others, I don't know. Maybe God still would have delivered him. But I think that he had a confidence in praying that prayer that was centered on a relationship that he had built through trusting God through prayer for days and weeks and months and years prior to this situation. It was a driving force in his life. And I would ask you, and I would ask me, what is your plan for praying? We're talking in this series about praying big, bold prayers and trusting God for the impossible. We're talking about believing that God can change circumstances in your life that are outside of your control. But if we're only crying to God for help because we're in crisis mode, we have no substance, no history, no deposits that we've put into this thing called prayer that have helped us gain confidence in the power of the prayers that we're praying. We have to have a plan. There's, there's got to be aware. There's got to be a when, there's got to be a a how, that we need to take a step to determine for ourselves, what's prayer look like for me? It's not just a a telephone, God, I've got an emergency. It's an opportunity to have a relationship with the God of the universe, the creator of all mankind. He wants to have a relationship with us. And here's here's a principle, here's a thought that I want to leave with you. Today's investment into prayer yields tomorrow's return in miracles. Today's investment into prayer yields tomorrow's return in miracles. You want to experience miracles in your life? You want to see God do some impossible things in your life? Invest in prayer. Continually, consistently, faithfully. Invest your life to be a praying follower of Christ and you'll see him begin to do miraculous things in your life last night I was watching a ball game on ESPN I caught the tail end of the Wisconsin Wisconsin I just said that weird that's funny the Wisconsin and Michigan game Wisconsin is number six in the nation Michigan's unranked it was at Michigan and it was close to the end of the game when I started watching and ultimately there were just a few seconds left in the game and Michigan was down by three points called a timeout got a plan together. They came out of the timeout. Walton Jr. shoots a three with just a few seconds left. Nothing but bottom. Ties the game. They go into overtime. They ended up getting beaten overtime, but let's stay in this moment for just a second. In that moment, in that moment, he was a hero, right? He drained it. I mean, pressure was on. We're talking about crisis mode. He came through in the clutch, tied the game, and gave him a chance to keep playing. It reminded me of A shot I once made back in my glory days when I was a freshman in college I played basketball for Southern Polytechnic State University we were playing North Georgia College I had literally played in two games that semester prior to this game we're toward the end of the semester and for whatever reason the coach decided to give me a chance to play I was having a decent game and we got towards the end of the game and we're down by one point I believe there were 13 seconds left in the game and our coach calls a timeout we've got the ball Okay. Now, the best player on our team is Heron Walker. And Heron, I think, was averaging 26 points per game up to that point. And everybody in the huddle just knew, we're going to set screens. We're going to get him open. He's going to get the ball. He's going to shoot. And we're going to just pray it goes in. And he's going like, to be the hero of the day. Coach Helfer calls us in close. He's Here. Everybody's expecting Heron to get the ball, but Bronson, is coming to you. And you're talking about a freshman in college. just so like, ooh, no, I don't know if I want it. Let somebody else take it. He says, this was going to happen. We're going to set some screens. You're going to get the ball up top. I want you to hold it until second, seven seconds left. And then you're going to drive. Everybody's going to clear out. Create a shot. Shoot it. You're going to knock it down. We're going to win the game. Now get out there. Timeout over. Let's go. I walked on the court like, oh, no. I got the ball up top. I held it. Seven seconds left. I started driving. made a move. Took a shot. It went in was like two seconds left. They threw it in and threw up a prayer. They missed it. We won the game. I felt like a hero of all heroes. My first big break in college basketball, people were picking me up on their shoulders on my team. I mean, it was one of the most dramatic, incredible moments in sports that I've ever had. But here's something, here's something that you got to understand about those last minute shots that are so famous, especially in tournaments is that the last second shot that makes someone a hero isn't being taken for the first time. That's not the first time that Walton Jr. shot that shot, and that wasn't the first time that I had shot that exact shot. In fact, as a kid growing up, I was the kid out in the driveway that was off in the corner like, three, two, one. Oh, I got fouled. Ball back, three, two, and then I would make it, and I would be the hero, and I'd run around the yard. And then I got in the high school And I would practice those shots. And literally, Coach Helfer ended every one of our practices with an in-game situation. And he would call us all to the sideline. He would say, here's the situation. You five are in the game. You're down by two. There's eight seconds left. Here's where you got the ball. Here's the play we're going to run. And we would run that play until we ended every practice with a victory. Sometimes we'd run the play 10 times. Sometimes it would take 20 times. But eventually, we would win the game in practice. And then the practice would be over. And so when he gave me the opportunity to shoot that shot, it wasn't the first time I'd ever shot that shot. It was by far the most dramatic time I had shot that shot. But that shot had been shot hundreds of times before, if not thousands. And the shot in the Michigan game had been shot hundreds and thousands of times before he shot it then. And the prayer that Daniel prayed in the den with the lions had been prayed hundreds and thousands of times before he needed it the most. Your investment into prayer today yields returns and miracles tomorrow. There's going to come a time in your life that hopefully you're going to reap the benefits of some investments financially. That hopefully when it comes time for you to retire, when it comes time for you to settle down, when it comes time for you to end your life, you'll be thankful that you've diligently, consistently set aside money into a retirement account, into an investment, whatever that looks like, so that there's coming a day when you're going to need it most and you're going to be so thankful that you've been investing All these years. The investments may not seem like much at the time, and they may just be small amounts that you've been putting away here or there compared to your financial portfolio. But when the time comes for you to start receiving your return on that investment, you're going to be so thankful that you've been consistently putting that aside. And I think the same is true with prayer. There's going to come those moments in life where you're going to need God, and you're going to be thankful. That for the past days and weeks and months and years, you've been consistently making investments into prayer because it will yield a return. And I believe we yield return in miracles because of investments that we make in prayer. And I'm gonna challenge you this morning. I wanna challenge myself what is our plan for praying? Daniel's plan was upstairs on his knees three times a day with the window open to Jerusalem. You say, what is significant about the window to Jerusalem? Well, that was Daniel's heart. Read Daniel chapter 9. Daniel had a heart for Jerusalem because the people of God, the city of God had been destroyed and it had been taken captive. And his prayer was God, restore the city, restore the city. I believe that it was that issue in his life that he continually circled In prayer. It was that impossible situation. In fact, he had been promised that for 70 years the city of Jerusalem would be laid bare, but there would come a day after 70 years that God would restore it. And he didn't wait till year 69 to start praying about it. He opened his window toward Jerusalem because that's where his dream was. And three times a day he faithfully prayed to his God. What are you faithfully praying for? Where do you faithfully pray? For me, I leave early in the mornings and I've got a 20-minute drive every day. And I rarely drive with the radio on because that, for me, is my time to be quiet before God. For some people, you're a morning person and you have no problems getting up early and you fall on your knees at your bed, whatever that place looks like. For some of you, you're night owls and you think best at night, you operate best at night, you hate mornings. Scripture tells us that Jesus had a plan for praying. Early in the morning, several scriptures tell us he he withdrew to be alone with God. Whatever your plan is, have a plan. When do you pray? How do you pray? Where do you pray? What's that look like? Develop that plan. Commit to that plan. And establish that plan. Live by that plan. Become people who pray consistently and invest in prayer. And there'll come a day where you'll need a miracle. You'll receive that miracle. Our cries for help are best supported by faithful, consistent prayers to God over years and years and years. And I want us to be a praying church, and I want us to be a church that honors God with faithful, consistent prayers. And I want us to be a church that sees God do miracles, not only miracles that benefit us and keep us from being destroyed by lions, but miracles that change an entire nation. Can we be that type of church? Today, we end our 21 days of prayer and fasting. For the last 21 days, some of us have been fasting. We haven't eaten a thing. Some of us have been fasting from social media, and we've not spent any time on social media. Some of us have been fasting a particular meal each day. Some of us have been fasting a particular type of food, like maybe sweets, for the entire 21 days. Whatever it is that we've been fasting for the last 21 days, today concludes that Time of fasting and prayer. And we've been praying specifically that God would do something special in our church, that He would grant us a move of God that would help us grow our church, not so that we can brag about any type of numbers, but so that we can have a greater impact in this community. And I want us to end these 21 days by simply praying together that God would do something special in our church. Father, thank you for being a God who hears our prayers, thank you for being a God who honors our prayers. Thank you, Father, that in times of crisis and times of emergency, when everything seems to be falling apart and we've got nowhere to turn, that we can run to you and we can cry out to you and you'll hear our cries and you'll perform miracles in our midst. But thank you, Father, also for an invitation to spend a lifetime praying to you, to have honest conversations with a loving God, to get to know you and allow you to see our heart for who we are. I pray that as we become a praying people, Father God, that you will honor our prayers. And specifically for the last 21 days, we've been fasting and praying and seeking your hand of blessing and favor upon our church. And we just pray together that we would experience a move of God that can't be attributed to anything that we've done. But we would look back on these 21 days and understand the power that prayer has among us. We ask you, Father, to help us To worship you well as a church. We pray that you would help us to serve well as a church. We pray that you would help us to invite well as a church, that we would give well as a church, that we would connect with one another well as a church, and that as a church we would be a church that prays, that honors you, that isn't about any self-recognition, but Lord lives for the glory of God. I pray that you would bless our church. We thank you for the last three years of faithfulness and how you've helped us along the way. You've been so good to our church, and we're so grateful. And we just ask you, Father, to continue to bless us and to take us to deeper depths and to higher heights than we've ever experienced as a church. And we trust you and thank you for that and believe together that you'll do the impossible among us. And for that, we give you glory. In Jesus' name, and everyone said together, amen. Amen.